How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. So, Nancy, welcome back to the Dr. Joe Show. How have you been? I've been okay. Thank you. It's been a while. And just so the audience know, I really screwed up tonight. I came in really late to this. I don't usually do that. I'm so apologetic. Uh, but it, in some ways, it it kind of fits with the title of your book that I was sort of like far away and forever. So tell me about the new book that you got, Far Away and Forever. Well, the thing about this book is that uh, it's five novelettes. And most people don't know what a novelette is. And I didn't either until a couple of years back. But a short story, by definition, is up to 7,500 words. A novelette is from 7,500 to 17,500 words. And anything from 17,500 to 40,000 is a novella. And anything over 40,000, of course, is a novel. So these are five. Let me get these numbers again. So, <laughs> I mean, they're actual. Somebody has defined. Oh, yeah. This is a real number. thing. This and somebody counts thing. them? Yeah, sure. And if you're over by two, all of a sudden you're in a different genre? I guess. I don't know. So a novel you said was up to what? So a novel is anything over 40,000. Okay. And a novelette? A novelette is 7,500 to 17,500. And a novella is 17,500 to 40,000 words. And a short story is anything less than 7,500. So tell us about Far Away and Forever, yes. which is... <laughs> so my first collection was, <laughs> was seven uh, short stories. This is five novelettes. And they're okay. all science fiction, as opposed to the last collection was sort of a mix of genre. And the idea about the title is that we start with the first story closer to home, uh, our planet, and at a time that's only 100 years or so into the future. And with each successive story, we move further and further out and further and further into the future. And uh, that's where the title came from. It's not really meant to be anything more complicated than that. And so the uh, to, to for a quick quick analysis the the first story is about what would happen if uh aliens were going to use our own biology against us the second novelette is about uh ai which is interesting because i wrote this way before the whole current ai craze but the idea is that uh if you were diagnosed with stage four cancer and given a month to live would you choose to transfer your consciousness into a computer hmm. and the third story is about uh a, a young girl who um has been raised in an orphanage and she has grown up thinking that one parent is a is an angel and the other one is a fire-breathing dragon, and she has to come to grips with the fact that she had it backwards. Um, the fourth story is about how how wishes are managed in our great grand universe, um, and it's a reporter who goes on an interdimensional jaunt to discover something about the how wishes are truly uh, managed. And then the last one is my attempt to be Dan Brown. And uh, it's an interstellar uh, religious thriller, uh, but it's based on my interpretation of what uh, a second savior's Bible uh, would, would be and the teachings of that Bible and uh, the people that want to get their hands on that teaching and make it go away um, because it, certainly contradicts with what the Roman Catholic Church is all about. So that's that's the five stories. You picked five pretty intense topics. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How'd you come up with the topics? I mean, we're looking at, you know, religion and AI and transfer. And I mean, these are great topics. Yeah, they are. And, and you know, the reviews I'm getting, um, 
you know, talk about this this uh, interesting mix of science fiction with religion, and uh, and and so many of my my stories have this sort of semi-religious uh, backing to it. But the truth of the matter is, it's what the muses choose to drop in my head. And if they drop me a story, you know, I'm I got to go write it down or my head will explode. And and they they give me these stories. And I don't know. What am I supposed to do? You know, standing with the world. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think that like the first book where. The, the title Seven Sides of Self was that the, the, the premise was that each of the main characters had a slice of me and it was just really uh, uh, an allegorical approach to to me talking about myself through these other characters. And I think that the this second collection, although I didn't mean to do that, I think there is some of that going on, um, particularly in the first story where the main characters are an astrophysicist and a biochemist. And uh, of course I'm a retired uh, biochemist. And so I get a lot of, I get a lot of static from people about how the first story is too technical. Well, I had to make it that way so that people would think it believable. And, yeah. uh, and so there's, yeah, there's a lot of biochemistry going on, but you know, I had to I had to write a story where I could use the phrase restriction endonuclease in there. <laughs> so I did it. Nice. Yeah. And and that's the one that's here on Earth, that first story. That's the one we start with. Yeah. And um yeah, it's kind of a you know, there's there's a kind of like a uh, uh what what's there's a sort of a pattern that it starts with the cell and you know, if you know anything about cell physiology, you know that you've got DNA in the nucleus and the DNA is transcribed into mRNA and the mRNA goes out into the cytoplasm and is the coding for how a protein is made. Well, the idea of an alien civilization who might have been listening to our radio broadcasts and learning our language and learning our culture might base a message to us in that same way, such that their message would be kind of like mRNA, and that that's that's how they eventually figured out what the message was by thinking about going in to the cell to understand what is out in the universe. And mm -hmm. uh, so that's why I had to have a biochemist and an astrophysicist meet unexpectedly so that they could answer each other's questions. Yep. Great. Yeah, what an interesting idea, right? To sure have something coming inside the cell. For those, you know, people who don't know, maybe you could just give a real quick, you know, quick overview of DNA, just so people know from from, from your position as a as a biochemist. But well, it's funny because one of the talking to a seven year old. Yeah, and and seven year old audience, but the astrophysicist, I'm sorry, the uh, molecular biologist is is the woman in the story, and uh, she has a uh, a neighbor who's a works as an accountant in a secretarial pool and who's so not into science. And the poor the poor woman has to explain to her best friend about DNA, and she mm -hmm. says, "Well, just think about DNA as a ladder, and those crossbars." Uh, going up the ladder, um, ha there's one of four possibilities. You can have AT or TA or GC or CG. And it's that, that order of those things that dictate how a protein is constructed. And so, you know, here's this, this complete ditz, you know, trying to learn about what DNA is so that she can understand what her best friend actually does for a living. And, uh, but that's, it's, it's just a, a ladder and it's twisted around and in order for it to do its thing it has to get untwisted and unraveled. And then once it gives its message out, it gets back together again and back twisted up and yep. And it's, it's message is the sequence of those ATGCs yep. and how they yep. are. And, and for folks, you know, a, a protein is not the sort of stuff that you're, you know, drinking protein shakes to increase your muscle mass. These are basically the machines and the workers inside a cell. So every every cell is like a village, and a village needs certain things. It needs, you know, energy source, garbage source, you know, ways to dispose of garbage. 
that's what proteins are. Your DNA yeah. codes for those things. And a, and a protein, uh, which I'm not sure many people realize, is is also a linear sequence, except yeah. that instead of having nucleotides and ATs and GCs, you have amino acids. And and it's the ATs and the GCs that tell the cell how, what order to put those amino acids in. But a, any protein is just a string of amino acids. And it in and of itself gets folded to secondary tertiaries and quaternary structures um, to make it do what it does, whether it's structural or whether it turns out to be an enzyme doing a thing. Um, right. Yeah. And even though we know DNA structure, MNRA structure, I don't think anybody knows how those protein strings, why they fold the way they do. Right. I mean, energy sources, who really knows? No, there's a, you know, a lot of work on that. And, and, um, the only thing that you can, it, it's the, it's the amino acid, uh, side chains that pretty much do it. And because each amino acid has its own particular characteristics and that's going to dictate the, the folding pattern. Right. And, right. Uh, yeah. So, it's fascinating stuff. It really is. It's grand. And that you, you put it into a, a novelette, right? <laughs> And, you know, what, what's, I want to talk about this in a moment, but, you know, what artificial intelligence, what would they do, you know, folks, before you read the story, think about it. What message would they try to put into a cell to influence, hopefully in a good way, but maybe not? But the reason I'm saying it is because we also have uh, folks who give us messages, and those are our sponsors. And I can assure you that the messages from our sponsors are absolutely to your benefit. So we'll take a commercial break. We'll be right back with the Dr. Joe Show. Hey, folks. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We've been investigating whether or not we want to bring sponsors into our podcast. What are your thoughts? Do you know somebody who might be a good partner with the Dr. Joe Show, who may want to align their product or service with the Dr. Joe Show? Think about it. And we are back, The Dr. Joe Show, with Nancy Joy Wilkie, author of Far Away and Forever. How, how do people get the book? The book is available on Amazon website, Barnes & Noble. And just about, if you type in that uh, in a Google search, you're going to see it's available all over the place. Um, and it's probably available through She Writes Press, which I should give a plug to because they are the publisher yeah. and a darn good one. Good. She Writes Press. Yes. Excellent. And so just to review the premise, so each story takes us geographically further away from Earth. Correct. But also temporally further into the future. Correct. Okay. And so how did you choose these particular topics? Again, the the muse is just popping it in your head? Yeah. And once I got the stories, then I... I had to figure out the order of the stories and that's kind of how the title got developed is that i wanted to put them such that each story you know took you a little bit further out uh both in distance and time um and the second story is actually also on earth but it's another 100 years into the future it's not till you get to the third story that you're now on to uh alpha Cent- uh, I'm sorry, Proxima Centauri B, which have, is the closest exoplanet to Earth, and the 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 story takes place uh, there, probably several thousand years into the future. Uh, and we're still having the religious debate. <laughs> Thousands of years in the future. That's what you're saying. Gotta have it. Well, that, yeah, the last story is is way into the future and way far away, and that's where the the, the religious uh, stuff gets going on. Yeah, absolutely. So, so why have you placed that one last and so far away? Well, um, I think in part, I think that so many science fiction writers. Um, don't really pay a lot of attention to how incredibly difficult it is to travel between stars. I mean, Star Trek and Star Wars makes it seem like, you know, you click your fingers and you're in a different solar system. And that ain't the way it works. Uh, And, you know, to get to Proxima Centauri B, it's 4.3 light years away. But, you know, if you're traveling at 10% of the speed of light, that's you know, a good 
a good bunch of time. Plus, you have to allow for time to speed up and slow down and, and all that stuff. And, you know, so you get into this uh, idea of uh, suspended animation or a deep sleep. And that's actually where this uh, second story goes. It's called The Goldfire Project. And the, and the main scientist in that was was basically his his premise was wanting to figure out a way for him to live a really, really long time. And his his initial idea was that you transfer one's consciousness into a computer and you wanted to transfer it into a computer that had AI in it so that it helped you learn all the inner workings once your consciousness gets in there. But I'm going to destroy the the end of the story a little bit for everybody and just say that in the end, the, the whole thing didn't work. And he has to start thinking about a different way to lengthen his time and he starts getting into this whole idea of a deep sleep which then eventually is transposed into interstellar travel but um yeah the irony of the the second story is that if we're making ai to mimic who we are and our aspirations and if we want to live forever then wouldn't the ai want to live forever as well and so the, the 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 person that gets transferred into the computer discovers that the AI has been sitting there waiting for a way to figure out how to get out of the computer into a human body. The opposite, the exact opposite, because the AI wants to get out and get into a in a human body so it can die and go to heaven. That's how it wants to live forever. So it's the exact opposite. And I don't think most people think about that, you know? <laughs> Very interesting. And it's the opposite of the first story where the person was trying to get into the cell, the alien trying to well, get Well, not the first one, it's they're, they're not trying to get into the cell. They're trying to understand the message that is in the cell, okay. that has been placed in the cell. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I, I don't think most people that read the story fully understand where I was going with that. But the idea was, is that if you're going to create artificial intelligence, it's just going to be the mirror image of a human. And it's going to want all the, the things that we want, but going in the opposite direction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many people are afraid, right? Artificial intelligence taking over the world. And, you know, what do you think about it? It's, I mean, it's it's really. I'm not fan of it at all but i'm very biased um so why aren't you, you know, well when i started writing uh more rigorously um i decided that it might be a good idea to get a uh, subscription to what's the what's the name of the uh program that people use for their uh correcting um oh right it's great that uh, i was can remember that we need ai to help us yeah, but the point is that it's 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 based on AI, and I've I've learned that if when I use that to look for, you know, spelling and typos and everything that uh, Grammarly, that's what it's called, Grammarly, and and I've I've learned that it from time to time will give you something that makes absolutely no sense as a suggestion, and so I have a third collection of stories that I sent out to uh, what I thought was a, a publisher. It's not Searites Press; it's a different publisher, and um, they put it through their editing thing, and they swore to goodness that it was done by a human. It wasn't done by a human because the gobbledygook that I got back for suggestions just looked exactly like somebody ran it through Grammarly. And and so I, you know, AI is maybe wonderful for certain things, but it ain't wonderful for everything. And, you know, when you read about all these kids that are using it to generate school papers and you read about musicians using it to compose music or artists to compose art, it's like we're cheating, you know, and um, I'm not a fan of it. I want to see the human the human side. Yeah. Yeah, I. I agree. I, I think there there's certainly place for AI. I mean, it can help us in many ways, but it shouldn't re replace us and replace what what we're doing. I mean, we have enough artificial intelligence as it is in our world. You know, yeah. we call people smart, and then sometimes right. we hear them speak. Uh, so, with this messaging, though, who's the audience? Who are you trying to reach? with this book? Well, that's a good question because I get it from time to time. Um, and 
my answer probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'm I'm I have this sort of motto that I like to create original thinking for original minds. Hmm. And so, you know, my my writing and my music and my art might not be mainstream stuff. It, it's me. And, and I think that's what every artist, musician and writer does is they're just creating things that are a reflection of their own image. And so, you know, you're either going to like it or you're not going to like it. But I, I like to give people something to think about. And um, I like it to be different from what everybody else is doing. Um, so, yeah, contemplative. Think about think about things in a different way, maybe. So I, I'm curious, where did these ideas come from? I mean, we talked about the muse last time and this time, but growing up as a kid, I mean, were were you exposed to, I mean, this dichotomy? Is there a dichotomy between science and religion? I, 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 you know, and that's another interesting question that somebody asked at one point, and and my response to that was, I believe that science is nothing more than us trying to understand what God created. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's the, that's the science religion mix. And you can get all fancy about how you write, just, just read Dan Brown, some of Dan Brown's stuff. And he goes into it in great gory detail. It's all wonderful stuff, but um, I think it's that simple. And, um, but to answer your question, I, I read a lot of uh, Isaac Asimov and uh, Arthur C. Clarke and Frank Herbert and um, uh, Heinlein, and uh, but I also read a lot of Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, um, and and there is certainly a lot of uh, religious uh, or spiritual stuff in some of uh, Tolkien and uh, Lewis's stuff. Absolutely. And, you know, it may not, when you say religious, that may not be, you know, in, from the biblical sense, from the, you know, the Roman Catholic sense, but um, there's a spiritual aspect to it. And I think that ultimately what we are all trying to do is understand who we are, why we are, how we got here and where we're going. And, um, and so, you know, I think a lot of the stories I write come out of those questions and um, maybe try to shed some light on it a little bit. You know, I, I have also been thinking about this. I'm curious what you think. Why do we need to know as as human beings? Why do we need to know this? What do you think? Why do we need to know it? Yeah, because we're driven. I mean, we really are. We have this this we brain are. that, you know, we've evolved a remarkable brain. And we're at a point right. in our evolution where we're suddenly able to really anticipate the future. But by anticipating the future, what do we really anticipate? That we will not have a future. And I think that has been a huge impetus in us trying to figure out what's going on. Now, the only only thing I want to, well, we're going to come back to this, but the only thing I want to add is the future that we have right now involves listening to our sponsors because they have something to share with all of us that really can be very powerful. We're going to come back to this discussion, though. But first, let's hear from our sponsors. Hey, folks, welcome back. So any thoughts? Do you listen to other podcasts? Do you see how they do the sponsors? Is there a way that they're utilizing sponsors that you enjoy or you don't enjoy? I listen to Smartless, and I really enjoy how the co-hosts share the voiceover for the product or service. It's really funny for the most part, but it's unique. It's them really endorsing. Does that work? What do you think? And we are back with the Dr. Joe Show and Nancy Joy Wilkie, who is an incredible author, but has this science component the religion component, understanding cellular biology. It's just, it's just such a great mix. So what do you think? Who, who have we become as we've evolved? We were talking at the end about, you know, the prefrontal cortex. And our, our listeners know that this is, you know, the most developed part of our brain. And arguably it's what defines us really, not just as mammals, but human, but really human beings. Um, 
And yet we still have this limbic system, this ancient primitive part of our brain that is activating the survival response, the cortisol fight, flight, freeze response all the time. So how do you think these things may have combined so that we can think about millions of years in the future and it's still going to be the same question? This question of, you know, what's going to happen next and what do we need to know? What do you think? Yeah, I I always think about the poor caveman that's, you, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, and he has no music, no art, no writing. He has nothing to distract his mind. And so he's there in his cold cave with maybe a fire going and gets to look up at the stars and wonder what the heck is going on. But that's it. And mm-hmm. I believe that the music and the writing and the art was an attempt to quell the anxiety that he must have felt not knowing. And so all that music and writing and art is an expression of our inner selves trying to make some sense of what that poor caveman was wondering all those years back. And part of this, part of the fifth story in the book is about the second savior, which is might be interpreted as a reincarnation of Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to be, but the point of the story is that the second savior comes back to earth and wants to explain to people exactly how this whole thing works, this whole thing of life and the universe works. And he says that, you know, Jesus couldn't do that because back in 2000 years ago, most people were uneducated. They didn't understand science. They didn't understand hardly anything. And so now, way into the future, this second savior is speaking to a population that's very well educated, that the universe has been studied upside one down the other, and we know all kinds of things about the universe. And so now he can finally deliver to us what the real deal is and how everything works. And that's what this book that he wrote, that the Catholic Church does not want people to see, because everything about God, the universe, who we are, how our souls work, where we come from, where we're going. And um, and one of the messages that he gives is, there is no death. And all of this angst of which we're talking about, all these questions, is all, I think, because out, it comes out of fear of death. And his message to us is, there is no death, that the spirit and the soul is eternal. And just because our physical bodies wither and die doesn't mean the, the, the spirit ends. We got a whole, we got a whole millennia, billions of years to, to float around in the universe as a little bright white point of light. And so, um, I think if we can, get beyond the the questioning and the concern that you know we're going to die one day and and start grabbing on to this faith that there is more to it than that then i think that's that's what that story is about faith you know is the enactment of trust absolutely believe that you know absolutely but there's still this potential for exploitation of that isn't there Absolutely. If you want to continue afterwards, you have to follow these rules. You know, I, I'm i having a hard time with that one. I mean, it makes sense that that's the way it should be. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not advocating that at all. Yeah. I'm saying that's the exploitation. Yeah, that that's yeah. where, you know, some people have said, if you want to do really well, you'll do what I tell you to do because right. I'm going to... I'm going to guarantee that. Right. And some people believe it because, yeah. you know, the, the idea, though, that we would be afraid of dying also goes, I think, way, way back into this ancient limbic system. You know, the right. caveman sitting there wondering, you know, am I safe, basically? Right. I don't know what's out there. It's dark. Right. They're, they're, I mean, there are predators. You know, we live in a world which, unfortunately, by design, is competitive. And mm-hmm. by design, you know, one animal will eat another one to survive. And then that one, right. you know, it's, it's, it's really been, you know, on my mind, but it's an I am. But that's still right. the best we can do. And as you said, you know, who we are, why are we doing what we're doing? Um, right. these, these are 
questions that don't need to scare people. It's really much more rewarding to wonder than to worry and to wonder about this. You know, what what is going on? I wrote a story years in high school. Did I tell you this story about in high school about the guy who captured God in a light bulb? Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. And so the story was there's there's this uh this traveling salesman is in a hotel room and um, it's late at night and he goes to, you know, wants to go to bed. He gets up in the middle of the night. He tries to switch on the light. Um, the light's not working. So he has to unscrew it, go get a new light bulb and about to screw it in and falls and hits his head and he wakes up. And this light bulb that is not in the lamp is lit. Hmm. And he says, what's going on? Turns out that it's God somehow. Through some weird thing, he's captured on a light bulb. And he says, this is great. I can prove you exist. And God says, no, no, no. It's not knowing whether I exist or not is what drives people right now. Right. Not knowing that little bit of uncertainty. What, right. what do you think about that idea? Oh, yeah. That's that's the ticket. That is the ticket. You're, you're looking for proof. And the proof is just not going to happen. The proof is not going to happen. Yeah, I'm, I actually am writing uh, my my uh, my fourth series of short stories, and and one of the stories in there, uh, that's that's the message at the end is that uh, you know you you're just not going to find that God can come down and and give you a burning bush, and you think, oh, great, all I have to do now is go get all my friends so they can see this burning bush. And you go out and you get your friends and you come back and the bush isn't burning anymore. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right, right. it's just not the way it works. Yeah, yeah that, that is what faith is about, right? Is is, is believing. That there's, and I, I, folks, I do. I mean, I think if we think we know what God is really about, one of my friends said, our concept of God is too small. You know, and we are limited by our neural net right now. So Absolutely. our neural net is only going to be able to perceive so much just based on its structure. So, Absolutely. you know, when people say they see these things, maybe. I don't know. My my neural net doesn't. But it's great. Well, so go on. I was just going to say, so that's the, that's the, 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 the mix of, stuff that's floating around inside my head that (laughs) everything we've talked about and that's the source of all the stories is is that mix uh and and seeking some sort of explanation yep so you and i were reading very similar books as kids was Mm. there anything else in the family i mean you know was there going to church or some you know, other religion was that in the house? Yeah, I mean, I we went to church almost every Sunday. I was pretty much born and raised either Episcopalian or Presbyterian, depending upon which town we lived in at the time, because we moved a lot. And yeah. um, and I don't know. I just always felt I don't mm. know why I, I got to do it. I don't. It's not that I think that if I don't do it, I'm going to be in trouble. But there's just something inside me that says, you got to do it. And mm-hmm. now, whether or not God is hearing me, I don't know. Are there things that I am praying for and I would love to get happen? Absolutely. Are they happening? No. So <laughs> is it that there's no God? Uh, he doesn't listen to you? I'm having a hard time with that one. I just think that there is a path laid out for us. And if we're not getting something we really think we want, then that must be that we are here to learn a lesson or many lessons. And that that series of circumstances that is laid out before us is what's supposed to be. Um, in the the last story in my third collection of stories, which is currently out with a, a different publisher and hopefully will be out uh, next year, um, the main character goes up to what he perceives as being heaven and f- finds that he's got to make a decision about what his next life is going to be like. Mm-hmm. And uh, his uh, council of elders shows him a couple of possibilities of what his next life could be and he has to make a decision about which one he wants 
and um, but they all contain obstacles and none of them are terribly fun but the council of elders tells him look dude before you can live here forever you got to go back one more time and learn a couple of lessons that's just the way it's going to be we know you don't want to do it we don't we know you don't like it but too bad so sad and so he eventually agrees to fix one of the lives and goes back and he's going to live it that's a very interesting concept to be able to to pick the kind of life that you have next. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot to that, but we're very fortunate that we have so many sponsors to pick from uh, <laughs> and each one is a blessing. So with that in mind, we'll listen to our sponsors, hear what they have to say, and be right back with the Dr. Joe Show. We'll take a commercial break. Hey, welcome back. And again, we're super grateful for you listening to the Dr. Joe Show. If you have anyone that you think might be a good sponsor, shoot us an email at drjoepodcast at gmail.com. D-R-J-O-E podcast at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts about the show too. We're wondering, are we talking to the trees or are people really gaining value in this? Please let us know. Thank you again and enjoy the rest of the show. So we're now in our final thing. I, I... I think there's a great discussion. I, I, I did have a question about your childhood again, if it's okay, but, but it's about why were you guys moving so much? Oh, Does my dad it... was in the Navy. Okay. Yeah. Military brat. Yep. Every two years, new school, new friends, new house. It was a bummer. I hated it growing up, but now I think look back on it. I think it's kind of cool because I know a lot of people from a lot of places and I've been a lot of places, you know? Yeah, and that gives you this a, a really a global exposure Absolutely. to things. And so many Absolutely. people don't have that. They, no. you know, they have what they know, which is still an IM. Again, it, it's yeah. it's okay, but but you know, we spoke about this last time. How as human beings, because of this limbic prefrontal mix, um, we I think that's what drives us wanting the same thing, which is to feel valued by somebody else. Absolutely. Human beings have evolved. When we began evolving this prefrontal cortex, we also began evolving as a social animal, what we call theory of mind. You can't see someone's mind, so we have to guess and theorize what they think or feel, but -hmm. especially what they think or feel about us. And we need to feel valued. Absolutely. Everybody wants the same thing, which is to simply feel valued. So how do you think, I mean, I'm appreciate you agreeing with it because it, it's really that fundamental building block of all the things. Theory of mind absolutely defines us in so many ways because we're yeah. interested in what other people think or feel about us because it's part of our survival. So how do you think that aspect, whether people are aware of it or not, how can we use that and how does it, does it come, it comes through in your stories each one ultimately right they they want to feel valued by someone i hope so yeah no i I, and and i think that the very act of writing a book is a sort of a subtle way of me saying i want somebody to acknowledge me Mm. to appreciate me it's my little way of getting some slice of immortality this book will survive past me. Don't know how long, but it's you know it. The music and the and the art and the writing is just me seeking validation from my peers. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. And an expression of who you are and sure. what you want to share with people. Yeah, and maybe I didn't get something that I sh- that I should have gotten growing up. Maybe I was damaged in some way. Maybe my parents didn't love me the way they should have. I don't know. I, I I don't want to blame anybody for it because I believe we should all accept our own fate. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we are influenced by people, but the whole idea of the I am is that no one's damaged. We're responding, but we have the opportunity to look again at why we're doing what we're doing. You look at the four domains: what was going on at home, the social domain, the rest of the world, my biological domain as I'm growing up, and the I see theory of mind, how do I see myself, other people see me? Mm-hmm. And then 
when you remember that everyone wants the same thing, what can you do to help somebody else feel valuable? Because every time you remind someone of their value, you increase your own value. So the I am, you know, as we just said, it's got these four domains. Because the domains interact, a small change in any one domain can have a big effect. You don't need to change everything. So Nancy, given what we're talking about tonight, what small change can you recommend to our listeners? I've thought about this because I went to your website and read all this beforehand. And, um, and you know, I think that what I try to do with with other people is to find something about them and compliment them about that thing. Because we all tend to go and focus on the negative and say, well, that person is a sludge muffin and, and they're not doing this or they're not doing that or they treated me bad. And I, it's, it's a choice. Every morning we wake up, it's a choice we make as to whether we want to say something bad about somebody or to say something good about something. And sometimes maybe you find something in another person that nobody else has seen. And by recognizing it, you make that person feel good about themselves. Yeah. And when that person recognizes what you have done for them, what may they do in return? Well, you know... It's funny. I've had a lot of discussions with friends lately about that kind of a thing. And and I have to say that my philosophy in life is that I expect nothing in return. And if if they don't ever say anything or do anything for me, that is fine. I expect nothing in return for anything. And that way, if I get something, yay, that's great. But if I don't, I'm not disappointed. Right. I'm not bummed out. Yeah. Uh, and I have so many family members that, you know, they give a gift and there's a string attached to it. And unless mm. there's something that, you know, is going to come back on the other end of that string, then, you know, all hell's going to break loose. And I don't want to live that way. Life's too short. Yeah, agreed. We had a guest on who said, life is short, but it's the longest thing you'll do. <laughs> you know, which is... Well said. Really well said. Great. Um, so I, I agree. The, if you can compliment someone today, think about who would that be and, and why. And you're right, not expecting anything in return. But imagine if everybody just started doing that. Imagine oh. if more people started valuing each other. And, and, and even if you don't agree with someone, I don't understand why. What's going on with them? That that's their belief. They're, it doesn't mean that your belief needs to be threatened. See, I that's think right. that's part of what happens in the world, right? I think right. if somebody doesn't look like me, agrees with me, then somehow I could right. be at risk. Right. And so I will go on the offense first. Right. And then you're doing exactly what you're afraid somebody was going to do to you. Exactly. So don't be surprised. You know, you spend a lot of time devaluing each other. Right. Don't be surprised if somebody then wants to devalue you. Of course. So those small changes, the the second truth of the I am, everyone's got one. Everyone is interested through their IC domain, their theory of mind, what you think or feel about them. And you know that's going to have an effect on their biological domain because it feels different when you feel respected or disrespected. Mm-hmm. And you are part of someone's home or social domain, which means you control no one but influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. The second truth, you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Nancy Joy Wilkie, author, artist, creator. What kind of influence do you want to be? Yeah, I think about that because my I had an holistic, uh, an uncle who was a holistic healer, and he always said, control is an illusion. Mm -hmm. You can control nothing, no one, nothing. And so I, I, I accept that I probably don't have a lot of influence that I am consciously putting forth or that I am aware of. I have people that tell me I am an influence and that I do project a certain amount of positivity. Um, and I think that's great. But I've thought about your question, and um, boy, oh boy, if I could influence a couple of people in my life right now, it would be great. <laughs> but 
Uh, I've been I hope you're listening. To... You may know yeah. who you are. You may know who yeah, you are. Yeah, well, hmm. yeah. Mm. And I don't think that uh, I'm, I've had a, a, any, any degree of luck in influencing the, how they think or act. So um, I don't know. I, I, I wish I had a better answer for you, but I just feel like um, if it happens, it, it's sheer dumb luck. It's not something that I'm consciously putting out there. I, I wish I could, but I, I, I'm not. Yeah, but did you not, did you remember how I started off when I first talked to you? I was yeah. complimenting you about all. The- <laughs> right. So you influenced me. Thank you. Yeah. But but think about it. I, I agree. I, I, I'm not saying that we're able to influence people, but we mm-hmm. get to choose the kind of influence we want to be. Right. So if you could choose what kind of influence you would want to be, whether it gets actualized or not, whether right. what what kind of influence, what would your choice be? What kind of influence would you want to be? Well, I would like for people to accept my mantra of life. My mantra of life is positive, healthy thinking for complete health of mind, body, and spirit. Mm-hmm. And if I can influence people to recite that every morning when they get out of bed three times, positive, healthy thinking for complete health of mind, body, and spirit, I I would be content. Yeah, I, I think that's so much, that makes so much sense. And, and, and for me, the immediate thing I start thinking about is cortisol. <laughs> I hate mm-hmm. to say it, right? Because when you have this positive attitude, you actually decrease your cortisol levels. You're not under so much stress. Right. And as soon as that happens, you can feel more pleasure and happiness. You can trust more. Yeah. You can be part of it instead of worrying you're going to be kicked out of it. You mm-hmm. can be part of this. And it's so cool to be part of it. Absolutely. It really is, you know, no matter, no matter what. The book, you know, again, how do people get the book? The latest book. I mean, you got so many books now. No, I just have two, but there'll be a, a third one out on uh, hopefully next year, uh, and which is uh, I'll just put a quick plug in for it'll be seven uh, fantasy short stories, um, and they're all of the current two books are available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and uh, through the She Writes Press uh, website is uh, probably a good way to to get them. And uh, my my website, if you want any. Th- information about the writing or the music of the art is uh mind sites one word m-i-n-d-s-i-g-h-t-s dot net mind dot net and my email address is on there should anybody want to write me which would be great and mm-hmm. um and you have guitars in back of you i do do you want to like play some as we take ourselves out of tonight's show I can give you a little a little ditty that uh, uh, yeah sure I can do that'd that. be great. So we're gonna we're gonna hear some from Nancy Joy Wilkie and folks. If you want to hear the whole show, the whole song, you may not hear it right away, but we we're, we're right. gonna have it for you. I will yeah. warn you that uh, um, um, <laughs> what's the what's the song? Oh, Zoom. There we go. That Zoom does not. <laughs> treat music well so this if this doesn't come through that's (laughs) that's the way it is here we go all right here we go there you go that was great well thank you it's uh, it's been lovely chatting with you again again i apologize for the confusion at the beginning but you know we we got through it and we had a good chat maybe we can do it again in a year when i get my next book out huh i look forward to it really (laughs) you're familiar with sociobiology and and eo wilson and all that stuff because that really has had a huge influence on on the way I view the world. But, yeah, I know. I like your. I like. I read your stuff, and uh, and I I'm I completely agree. It's great, and yeah. I really appreciate that. Uh, it's funny when you said Zoom. You know, it's not good to music. I thought you meant the old TV show. You know, and I was going to say, wait, you didn't like our opening song? What the heck? <laughs> yeah. Nancy, Let's, uh, we're obviously going to stay in touch. You know, again, I'd, I'd love to actually read the book. Um, cause I think your stories sound great. And I'm a huge fan of, of sci-fi and fantasy and religious. And there it is. 
far away and forever. More stories. Love the cover. I get more compliments on the cover than I do on the stories. Great cover. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the Dr. Joe Show. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Appreciate your time. Likewise. Bye. Bye-bye. Dear Romeo, drag from the vile. Did he do it for love or was he just being wild? Who knows? Van Gogh. Stretch the kindness, brush with madness. Is it sadness or just a show? Van Gogh. Go, go.